This week on the Back Rim, boys, we're going to get into the Western Conference Finals review. Talk about, is LeBron really going to retire Eastern Conference Finals 3-1 right now? Are the Heat for real? Are they going to close it out? And the best I'm him moments from the postseason. Today's May 25th, Back Rim, boys, episode two. Let's get into it. Welcome back, boys. How are we doing? You know, Solid. Yeah, pretty good. I just want to congratulate Ryan Samfley and his Nuggets on a well-deserved NBA Finals appearance coming out of the dismay of my Lakers. But, you know, Admiral, Admiral guy to go out against, you know. I think um, we all just headed home for summer, so not, we didn't get to watch any of the games together for our listeners. But um, I think it would have been a little more a little more back and forth tension wise if we were able to be in the same in the same room but we didn't get that so next year next year we might meet earlier in the playoffs and have that but we'll have to see we'll have to see but I appreciate it I appreciate it yeah bro second floor 511 and a half hits different when we're watching those games hey I never got that from Houston though he never congratulated me on my Lakers kicking his Warriors ass I'm just saying yeah because I honestly do not care I was kind of pissed but yeah all right well we can we can get into this series a little bit. Anybody have anywhere they want to start? I mean, you just got to look at it. You know, first finals appearance ever for this team in this long, long lucrative franchise history. I mean, they were one of the original ABA franchises that came in with the Spurs and the Pacers. 76, they were the only one of those teams from the ABA to not make a finals appearance. The other one is the Nets. Um so just happy for the city of Denver. They finally got it. I mean, they'd been 0-7 against the Lakers in, in playoff series, too. So they finally beat the Lakers, especially after the Lakers beat them in numerous conference finals, too, going back to the bubble in 2020. And then in 2009 was Kobe versus Melo. So just finally they got over that hump and stuff like that. And interesting way to do it, a team with only one all-star, only one all-NBA player. But they're proving that, you know, if you just surround that guy with a bunch of different level role players and a guy like Jamal Murray, anything's really possible. It does feel kind of like a a culmination for the city of Denver and the Nuggets in particular, just the way that like you've touched on there, you know, they're not loaded with talent and it's like on paper, according to, you know, voters of specific awards. Um, But they're just kind of gritty. You know, they've came together really. They play, you know, one of the best brands of team basketball in the NBA. You know, that's not very like, doesn't happen a lot, I guess, in the modern NBA. Um, And it kind of just, I think, goes back to that idea of they've been hated on for a while because, you know, they're just not as a pretty topic as to talk about as the Lakers or the Celtics or stuff like that. So I think it's just really cool that, you know, the year Jokic doesn't win the MVP, um, the year it's kind of, you know, Jamal Murray comes back from injury. So all these things um, kind of have just came to a head. Uh, and put the small, small, quote unquote, city of Denver um, on the map of NBA basketball now and got out of that. You know, they, they'll probably be relevant for a while now. So it'll be interesting to see where this where this continues. But, yeah, it's just a really awesome. I'm sad I can't be home uh, to be around. I was trying to make it out to a game if I would have gone home, but it's besides the point. Yeah, I think, you know, that when we look when we look at it, it's just incredible how it's their first appearance. But also, I think I touched on before with one all-star. You know, it's interesting to think only one other time we've seen a run like that really happen with one all-star on a team. And it was Dirk and his Mavs in 2011 that went on that run that beat the defending champs. They beat Young OKC. They, they beat Miami with their big three. So it's interesting to see is that team – do we think this is kind of a similar run that Denver's going on with only having, you know, one all-star player? Because even the Mavs had Jason Kidd and J.G. Barea, Jason Terry, Sean Mary, Tyson Chandler, all these kind of guys. A lot of similarities between these two teams, if I'm thinking about it. No, I agree. Um, it definitely – I think – I think Denver might have a little more star power after, you know, Jokic comparatively. Um, you know, a lot of people were pushing for Aaron Gordon to be an all-star this year. I don't I don't think he was of that level. Um, and his, his stats don't necessarily um say that he's on that level either. Uh, but I do think I do think they're they're similar in the fact that they're 
have been constructed both both those ma that Mavs team and this Nuggets team have been almost perfectly constructed to fit around their star you know in terms of the Nuggets have you know elite cutters left and right um they have high level defensive wings stuff like that um and you know the Mavs kind of similarly built around Dirk's uh kind of his lack of defense you know not not on maybe Jokic's level of ineptness but still you know try to cover him up in places that they could and really just built around him having posts look similar to how the Nuggets try to feed Jokic in the post so it is cool to kind of see almost like you're talking about not only do they have similar like role player levels but it's almost like on the same concept of we had to it took us a few years but we finally you know master classed how to build around this star and not just Jokic I mean when you look at the the series Jamal Murray averaged almost 20 or 33 points per game. Um, all of the seven or six, six main guys that played, they averaged 27 and a half minutes or more um, and all averaged at least 12 and a half points per game in that series. So it seemed like everyone there was kind of offering something up. Aaron Gordon stepped up defensively on LeBron. So it kind of helped out the, the team as a whole. And then you kind of get like those, fill in minutes by Jeff Green, who kind of brought some energy off the bench, which really pushed them over the top. I think it was one of the first series where I've seen at least a sweep wise where it could have easily been the other way. Yeah. A lot every game was close, stuff like that. Usually in a sweep we have at least a blowout, stuff like that. Even East Conference Finals, it's three one. We had Miami beat down on Boston in game three. But, you know, each each game was close, and each game really could have gone a different way. In game one, LeBron missed a jump shot for the, for the tie in game, you know, a three-pointer for the tie. Game two, really the Lakers gave that one away, and LeBron and AD both didn't play well. A lot of mental mistakes in that game. Game three, close game down the wire. Denver has a 13-0 run with about four minutes left. That really puts it out of reach. And then game five, game four, down, down to the wire, LeBron misses a shot to tie the, tie the game, stuff like that. So I think it was really interesting – I mean, the ball bounces completely a few different directions, a few different things. Some of these shots that Jokic and Murray, these miraculous shots that they hit, fading away with a defender right in their face, if they don't go in, we could be talking about the Lakers and their sweep and their on way to the finals. So I think that's something we got to talk about. Yeah, I would just say, personally, from you know my point of view, it almost that like I like feel that it correlates directly to just how. LeBron is in his life like in his stage in his career I guess is the best way to put it because he you could see almost game by game he would start pretty hot get involved and then kind of as the game went by he would almost you know take a back seat or just become less involved and I think that is simply a case of he is you know 38 he's up there in age he's you know I think it's some crazy he's playing it's crazy I forgot it you know he's dealt with a lot of injuries so you compare that with the Nuggets team um who's fresh a lot of young dudes um and I think that's the biggest difference is those fourth quarters of you know who's young who has energy to give and who is struggling a little bit I think the key issue for the Lakers here was their depth I mean obviously like since the trade deadline they had a more deep team but they couldn't really figure out outside of LeBron AD and Austin Reeves who was in the final groupings for their players like it went between Schroeder and D'Angelo Russell and then here and there Hachimura and Vanderbilt were getting in there but they got to the point where Tristan Thompson was getting minutes I know last week we talked about Matt said that that might happen um that was it, it was effective well. for the for, for the first like however many minutes he played but that was kind of just like a down stretch for the Lakers for them to have to put Tristan Thompson in to get something going. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that their bench played up to the level that the Nuggets did. And that kind of is what hurt them because LeBron almost averaged a triple double in the series. AD was averaging 27 and what 14 with 2.8 blocks a game. So he was, he was putting, in, like putting up his numbers. Yeah. It didn't feel like it, but, 
when the bench doesn't doesn't produce, it kind of just shows that they're not they're not at that level yet. I mean, I I'd say like these the two most consistent players for Lakers all series were uh, Hachimura and Austin Reeves. I mean, they were the two where you Austin Reeves shot like what fifty five percent from three in that series. He was hitting every three possible. Hachimura was great through the first three games. Game four, he struggled, but he also had played 43 minutes, which is career high for him in guarding Joker the whole time. So I think, like, that's one of the things was those two stepped up, but LeBron and AD were so inconsistent. And, you know, this really doesn't help AD's reputation of being an inconsistent player and stuff like that because, you know, game one, he has 40 points. Game two, he had, like, 15. Game three, he had, like, 28. Game four, he had 22, but it was, like, not a good 22. Most of us from the free throw line. He wasn't really hitting his shots and stuff like that. And I think that's interesting to me because we've seen that stretches of his career where he could just be dominant nonstop and stuff like that. And then in this series, primarily being guarded by the, by the Joker, where that's a guy where that he can easily get around him and stuff like that. He just wasn't able to do that. And even on defense, they had to switch him off and put a put smaller guys on him who were built more so that they could have a chance and then he could roam the paint because when he was guarding Joker, Denver would get anything they wanted to rent because he's not able to just go and block anything. Matt, do you think um, – I feel like I noticed this personally that AD was kind of struggling to finish one-on-one post looks and a lot of isolation plays didn't go well for him. Um, I know at different points in his career he's kind of almost – had different play styles. Uh, like it, back in the bubble when they had bigs, he honestly he was playing four more and he was shooting, you know, middies and threes a lot more. Um, do you think it, his current phase after we've seen this playoff run that he's almost to the point in his career where he's like just a lob threat finisher? I don't even know what, like it doesn't seem like he can get his own offense at an efficient rate anymore. I would I would say that. Because we've seen in stretches, I mean, this regular season, at the end of the regular season, he was, you know, we were talking about him again being top five player in the league. And that 2019-2020 season when Lakers won the title, he was, it was, the argument was him and Giannis, who's the best big in basketball. It wasn't, no one was talking about Embiid, no one was talking about Jokic, no one was talking about these guys. It was, who's better, AD or Giannis? And now that question sounds like blasphemy if you're saying AD's better than Giannis. But I think, like, when he's at his peak and when he's playing well, it's it's a lot diff- it's a lot different. And he is top five, top ten player in the league. But when he's not, he's when he gets down on himself and stuff like that, then you see it. Especially because I think you've seen – and this is something that my dad actually brought up was that when that team that won the title had guys like Rondo and Danny Green with championship experience – who would yell at AD when he wasn't being aggressive and stuff like that. We saw a lot of times Rondo again, his face be like, go down into the block, go down, post up and get those touches. So like that, don't sit on the perimeter. And the Lakers really don't have that voice now because LeBron is more of a bad body language kind of guy. He's not going to come out and just like yell at a guy. I mean, we saw it in the huddle a few times, but he's not going to do it. And there's not really that veteran presence in that second unit to really control that because Schroeder is not, going to do that and stuff like that, especially because Schroeder doesn't have the championship experience and stuff like that. They didn't have that guy who could come in and, you know, be like, get on top of people for not being aggressive and stuff like that. And I think that's everything a championship team needs. I mean, even even the, the Nuggets have guys that do that who don't play. Like, DeAndre Jordan's always going to get in the face of Joker and tell him to get down on the block and stuff like that. And they have Jeff Green, who's been around the block, who's played with everyone in the NBA, so he knows exactly what to tell someone to do to get ready. I, I mean, I think that's that was my main thing when I looked at the series. The Lakers just didn't have anyone to do that. And, yeah, they signed Tristan Thompson late in the season, but no one's going to listen to Tristan Thompson and be like, oh, yeah, I got you, TT. Like, no one's going to be that. that. Well, yeah, when you sign that veteran presence who, like, at his peak was averaging, like, eight points per game, I don't really think anyone's taking him too seriously. What other – what other miscomings do you think the Lakers had? Because I think personally, one of the things I felt that the they should have done differently was I felt like they made adjustments too late in the series. You know, going to Schroeder in the starting lineup, and I'm not saying I'm not saying it 
necessarily like obviously didn't work they lost that game too I, it just felt like you get down I mean it's hard to say because it was such a quick series it feels like and the games were close like Matt touched on but I, I felt like they should have done something I don't need I, I mean like speaking out loud it does make it sound like I mean you made us you you go down 2-0 on the road which is not that big a deal and then you don't make a switch thinking you can win game three so do you think you guys have any perspective on that I think I think the big thing was you saw a lot of the times here. A lot of these guys were free agents, at least in D'Angelo Russell's perspective, right? And that's a guy the Lakers wanted to bring back long term. At least going into the series, everyone was like, "Look, we need to bring Russell back." And you can't really bench him without there being a little bit of repercussions in a guy that you want to give an extension to in the off season. So that was that was my main thing. I'm looking at. And, you know, let's say he's under contract next year and stuff like that already. Yeah, he could have been benched a lot easier because people do that. People, established players have been benched all the time for the betterment of the team. It happens, happens every year. But, I mean, I think that's one of the main takeaways I saw was they didn't want to do that. So that was probably even Rob Palenka being like to Darvin Ham, don't take him out of the starting lineup yet. And then in game four, it was too little, too late at that point. But – I think that's that's the one thing that you could really look at um, was that they're thinking for the future, trying to keep this young core. Even the exit interviews, Rob Palenka said, "Hey, we're gonna try, we're gonna keep this young core together," which we've heard before, as Kyle Kuzma pointed out in his tweet. But, but who's but, who's the young core that he's talking about here? Is what I'm wondering about because I don't. If you have Reeves as the the headliner for that young core, is that really a a good young young core? It's not like Lonzo. Ingram, Kuzma. And I think I think Austin they Reeves, have before. Austin Reeves has all star potential. Okay, because out of out of all those guys you just mentioned, this was the one guy that was able to play with AD and LeBron and average twenty on a consistent basis. Because post All Star break, he averaged eighteen in the playoffs. I th- he was he was averaging like seventeen, and he's getting less shots. And he had numerous games where he put the team on his back. In Game One in Memphis, he put the team on his back in that fourth quarter, stuff like that. I yeah, but do you he, think with, with with his play style though, and how he fits in with AD and LeBron, that he's ever going to reach that oh, 100%. potential? Because you think he, he's going to be able to be All Star potential, averaging like seventeen points a game? Andrew Wiggins was I an All Star starter, and he averaged sixteen. That was just because of how how the how the league was with all the injuries. I don't think Reeves. No, is it was a that. fan vote. It was a fan vote. Well, yeah, but then also like the top two small forwards are out with injuries, so Wiggins just kind of walked his way into that starting no, role no um, but he was he was a all-star star it wasn't like it was an injury replacement all-star starter he was an all-star starter full out after the vote i think with austin reeves i think they're seeing a lot so the thing is they've had two guys who they gave away who they thought had that potential right and it was kuzma and it was taylor horn tucker kuzma and yeah you're laughing at tht T- kuzma and tht weren't really knockdown shooters that THT was a terrible shooter, still is. Kuzma, I just think he couldn't there he showed flashes, but I think him and AD really just didn't get along that well. Austin Reeves is a knockdown three-point shooter. We've seen it before, we've seen it time and time again. He's a guy who creates his own shot. He searches out contact. I think he he drew I think he was top ten in most drawn fouls in the playoffs so far. Which he is might be the best that I've ever seen. What? He might be the best, like Young like, Chris Paul, but it's not. I I am a certified hater of like D'Lo because he's he, D'Lo is in the Chris Paul James Harden camp of you come off a screen hand in the hip and I rip up and you and I get you. Austin Reeves is not as bad by any means. He's way I just he just has a different style that I I can respect and I think it is very. Translatable he, he has that. Year he year has that LeBron masterclass. You know, he uh, every time he goes up to the rim, somehow bros on the floor, his heads flicking back because <laughs> you know he got back. hit. Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of how Austin Reeves gets most of his. Um, it's legit though. Yeah. I I think I think he's he's an answer. I mean, you, you look at his stats in the playoffs. I mean, he put his scoring average. He was averaging thirteen this season, but. If he, re- he averaged 17 in the regulars in the playoffs. But when you look at his splits, I mean, post-All-Star break, they're talking about a guy who 
really was one of the best two guards in the league, if I could if I could say that without it being a little blasphemous. I mean, post All Star break, the guy was averaging 18 points per game on 58% shooting, 44% from three, and 86% from the free throw line. What are his assist numbers? Uh, he was averaging Not that five. High. He was he was averaging five point five assists post yeah. All Star break. I think I think that's the thing that can push him because I I agree with you, Matt. I think he definitely has that. He has a trajectory of a potential All Star in the future. I think the West is a little competitive in terms of guards, yeah. um, but I think the the playmaking can be the the thing that he takes a huge jump in going forward, and that can push him to an All Star level. And I think mostly that has to do with the fact that he doesn't get a lot of playmaking opportunities in his current role, you know, LeBron has the ball in his hands a lot coming off pick and roll. Um, So if he, if he can, and I think he should get that like respect within the Lakers playbook and style going forward, I definitely think he can make an all-star team at some point. So -hmm. since we're talking about Austin Reeves and Lakers, where do we think they're going to go from in the direction of the franchise? I mean, I think a lot of these guys are free agents in Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, Rui Hachimura, three guys that I think they need to bring back. D'Angelo Russell's a free agent. They can extend guys like Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. Like, what do we think they're going to they're gonna do? I think it all depends on the question of, like, is LeBron James going to retire? That just came up um, in the last few days. They don't have – I don't think they have enough money to re-sign all of these guys, correct? They can re-sign – they have bird rights. They, they do. They have bird rights, and Rui, Rui and uh, Reeves are restricted. Okay. And Lonnie Walker, no one's going to give him more than, like, five mil probably because he's he was on the veterans minimum in the first place this year. Yeah. I don't think he really – just because he played well in that Warrior series, I don't think he really proved that he's more um, – has more potential for a contract there. But, um, yeah, I think if, if LeBron decides to retire – then maybe they kind of go more into a rebuild aspect, kind of maybe trade away AD. They don't have they don't have the the picks in the future to do it, but I don't I don't think they have enough uh, enough there on the team to be able to make their way back into where they're at now in the playoffs. Well, if if you're talking about that, so that Laker team. Um, that after all after the trade deadline and once LeBron got hurt, they played their best basketball when LeBron was out and when it was AD and D'Lo running the show. That was like they were winning a lot of games. They were cruising through the but – Are they going to continuously be able to do that over the course of an 82-game season? Yeah, but I think that's a playoff with team. Just, that's a, with that's just – that's, that's at least a play – so let's say, let's say LeBron retires. If AD could play 65 games – or 65 plus games and you bring back the rest of the team that's at least 45 wins probably yeah there's that factor though of like is ad going to be able to elevate his game now that lebron is gone because they couldn't they couldn't double team ad in the post because they had reeves backside shooting and they had lebron also on the floor you can't really double when you have two superstar players yeah but it's the regular season is he gonna be able to double yeah but is he gonna be able to get get enough touches and efficient efficiently be able to score where he can put this team in the play in i i think so because it'll be like the team that he had in new orleans he won they won he won 48 games in new orleans with the second best player being drew holiday and then no one else on that team was good the Lakers have more talent. Yeah, Drew, Drew Holiday's all was all defensive though. They, they don't really have anyone else that's touching that. Yeah, but you have Austin Reeves who's going to give you just as much production offensively as Drew Holiday would. And then yeah. if you bring back D'Lo, that's in the regular season. That's twenty-one a night. So, and then Vanderbilt's your defensive guy. I I I think like yeah, it really matters what LeBron decides if he's going to retire or not, but. I don't think the identity of the franchise is gone at that point if he does decide to retire. Yeah, Would they, they have to pay him if he retired? No, huh? right? They don't have to pay him if he retires, right? No, I think it's just like it's like the same thing as like Andrew Luck with the Colts. It's like they they, they still have like 
his right. It's not like salary cap. No. So they don't yeah. have to pay him, no. but yeah. 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 He's, he's on the I think yeah, I think like what Matt was saying, as long as he has extra years on his deal, yeah, they possibly still hold him for the duration of that contract. If he yeah. decides to like come back, then they can like let yeah. it go and he can sign somewhere else or something like that. Yeah. I mean which I don't I don't really see I I've seen people be like, "Hey, yeah, he takes a year. He takes a year off, and then he goes to, then he goes yeah. to wherever Bronny is." But I, I don't, I don't think it's gonna. That's his desire anymore. I think is, I think we saw in that game. I mean, in game four, he really just went out there and tried to put the team on his back, and we saw that he couldn't do it for a whole game anymore. And I think it was very admirable that he played forty-eight minutes of the whole game, except the last four seconds of the first half. I think that was very admirable. You don't see many guys doing that at the age of 38 and stuff like that. But, I mean, that's what I'm – that's what I'm thinking here. Also, um, and this – we don't have to go too deep into this, but I was ta- I was thinking about this the other day. And say, uh, say he does do that year off and then join Bronny. A 40-year-old LeBron and a – you know, no disrespect to Bronny, uh, probably a glorified – role player what team what team is doing that you know what i'm saying like i guess it depends on what your team's situation is or what their layout what your layout is but to think about you're going to spend a draft pick probably on brawny and then sign a really old uh, probably you know a a low level all-star level lebron like that your team is not going to be if those are two of your better players, I'm I'm questioning where what like the team's ceiling would be. Do you get what, like I just that's a quick thought I had the other day thinking about. I'm, I would think it would have to be like it have to be like a lower level team that is going into rebuild mode and they're just trying to use it for publicity, try and get more money yeah. because there's no I way Bronny's getting drafted in the lottery. We're not. I mean, I I say that now. You don't. He doesn't strike me as being a lottery guy. Being a sixth man at USC next season. He'll start. Um, He'll start. Now they got Isaiah Collier and Boogie yeah, Ellis. It's, it's college. Yeah. They play like four guards at a time, dude. He's gonna start. <laughs> I don't, bro. No, I think he, I think they're gonna have him as that third guard coming off the bench. No shot, because the, dude. Because UCLA they just got, was running Jaime Hawkins at like six at a generous six six at the four. That's just because yeah. of the style he played. I think Bronny's Bronny's going to be the guy on that team that can come off the bench and just straight score for them. If you think that LeBron James kid is coming off the bench, there's okay. no way. In Literally, hell, all of the college, like all of like the NBA and college analysts that and Boogie Ellis, because then they still have um, Rodman's kid, who will probably be one of the forwards, and then. They have like another center and then some other forward who played there last year who averaged like 15 points a game or something like that. Dude, Rodman's kid's not going to start. He was, he was ass at Wazoo. Wazoo won like 15 games. He's not going to come into USC and start. Hey, I'm just, I'm just going off of what, what these uh, analysts and scouts were saying about it. Yeah, they don't, they don't I know. Think... They're, they're, they're analysts and scouts. They're not, they're not the ones making decisions. If you think Andy Enfield is going to be like, yeah, Bronny, you're coming off the bench. He's going to be like to LeBron, hey, yeah, I'm going to bring him off the bench. Stuff like that. There's no way. All right. Oh, we'll table oh, that. We'll table that. Well, okay, wait. So where, where were we going with that before? It was, uh, oh, I'm thinking a small, uh, a small market team would do something like that, sign LeBron, and then try and use it to sell up publicity for their franchise. Yeah, yeah sell tickets, like get more nice. money. Because basically every single every single game that they're going to, it's going to be this huge thing because it's LeBron's farewell season. And yeah. then, you know, him playing with his kid. It's, it's going to be on ESPN like every single time they play, especially if Bronny gets in and plays with him. 80, 82, 82 national televised games for the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It'll be, it'll be something like that. The only right. games that they won't get will be like Christmas Day or something like that. But you know yeah. they got to have Braun on on Christmas Day. That's so cool. All right. Um, anything else but, on the Lakers roster? No, I, I just think like we just got to wait and see at this point. I think it's a, I think it's a really good discussion that we're going to have in the summer, but I, I just don't know what to do. With it right now, I think like the first thing we just do is just you know Denver, gonna go out into the finals. I think 
they're the pick. Everyone's going to go with no matter who comes out of the Eastern Conference right now. But just congratulations to the Nugs. Do we who do who, real quick? Who do we think matches up better with the Nuggets? Anybody have thoughts on that? Out of the two teams in the East right now, yeah. I honestly, I think the Celtics probably match up better, but I think the way that the series is going, the Heat are just going to win it, and it's going to be a. I think that that it's going to be Nuggets Heat. The Nuggets are probably going to win. But I think the Celtics kind of match up better because they have more of that guard play against, like, you know, Jamal Murray and KCP and uh, Michael Porter Jr., who's been shooting well. That'll be a good matchup for probably Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. I think it's a better matchup. I think the Nuggets don't want to match up against the Heat because – and I think the big, the big thing is <laughs> – We'll probably see um, Kevin Love be benched in that series. And then I don't know who the hell Joker's going to guard because you can't put him on Bam because Bam, it's different than AD because Bam never just wants a post-touch. He's moving the whole time, every possession, stuff like that. So you can't, you, you really can't put him on there. So you would have to put Aaron Gordon on Bam. And then, I mean, I guess KCP on Jimmy Butler, but that's – that's not that would best. be interesting. I yeah, thought that, that. Towards the end of the Lakers series, they started putting Joker on one of like the Lakers guards, right? Yeah. Didn't they have yeah, him like, like backside guard? guard? Like if Vando was on the court. Yeah. Or, um, they like, put him on you could see times too. Yeah, you could see him probably guarding like Caleb Martin or. You think they start Caleb Martin then, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, and you can't. Do I don't think like you can that. put him on Caleb Martin the way Caleb Martin's been shooting the ball. No, no you definitely no, can't. But the, I don't know. The the way he might be too small in that scenario, though. Because, I mean, we just watched the Nuggets kill a fairly big Lakers team on the glass. Yeah. I mean, Jokic he's, is going to dominate Bam on the boards, I think, personally. Yeah, that's that's the thing. is, And I don't think the Heat really care about that. But the Heat have, like, the best defen- defensive rebounding guards in the league. And like Gabe Vincent's gonna get you those those defensive rebounds, and same thing with like Kyle Lowry and Max Strews, because that's the one team that doesn't really have people leak out ever. They just all crash the glass. So yeah. I think that's 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 the difference there. Um, I do think the I mean, and it it doesn't make sense because I would have said the same. I would have said the same thing going into the Heat uh, Celtic series, but. I mean, clearly the Celtics on paper have more firepower from just about every spot. Um, I don't know if the Heat can keep the shoot. If the Heat shoot this well for the rest of the playoffs, yeah. uh, then they're definitely the like the matchup you don't want to see. Um, and at this point, I think it's pretty likely they do. So that is concerning. Um, I am uh, the one thing with the Heat reverse directly opposite of who is Jokic going to guard is who who guards Murray because. Um, you know they haven't they haven't really seen a guard like him yet. You know Drew Holiday isn't that guy like that. Um, I mean Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brunson, but I mean he had like he had thirty eight, he had dropped forty one in one game. So um, that I mean that kind of shows a good guard could light him up. The Celtics obviously don't have an elite lead guard like that. So that would be my one thing is who who would the Heat stick on him to try I mean, to contend him. Jimmy Jimmy will I think, probably take the challenge at some point. And yeah. then, I think it's gonna it's gonna get mixed around. They're gonna yeah. see who works best. Probably Caleb Martin, Vincent, and Jimmy are gonna be like the three that are going, you know, bouncing around. But I think yeah. I think the one thing that Spolstro probably won't do is put Duncan Robinson on the floor when Murray's on the floor. Because if he is, then they're they're gonna hunt out that switch. And that switch is terrible because Max Struess can guard, can stay with people when he gets switched on to guys. But Duncan Robinson is literally a cone. So he's been hooping on offense, though. He's been hooping on offense, yeah. But like he can't play defense. And that's going back to him in college. I mean, yeah, he just can't. Yeah. Um so I'm interested to see. Shifting shifting gears really quick. Uh Eastern Conference Finals. Miami of 3-1. So Boston, the escape elimination uh two nights ago. As of the day we're recording this, game five's tonight, so we might be a little behind on some info when we get this out. But what do we think so far about 
Eastern Cross Finals and Miami being up 3-1. It's surprising to say the least. Um, I feel like everyone, each series has kind of been like, all right, the Heat were the Heat were good. Like that was cool. It'll yeah. it'll end here. Um, and I think they're just showing how. Like I mean, you can't discredit them now. Uh, so they're legit. Obviously, I think personally they're gonna win tonight. They'll send send it to. They'll send themselves to the finals, and we'll we'll see how it goes from there. I don't know. I think the diff. I think the difference in this series right now has been three point shooting. That's true. Pull up those stats, man. Yeah, Miami Heat are shooting 42% from three. Celtics are shooting 32% from three. And without – I I think it was last game, one of the announcers said that the Celtics had made 18 three-pointers on, like, 43 shots. And they said that they still weren't even playing Celtics basketball because of how many shots that they were taking. They kind of needed – he was saying that they should be taking more three-pointers just on how that they've been playing recently. So with their efficiency, I don't I don't I think that's the issue because they're also down like 7% from the field compared to the Heat. Got to get those stats without our boy John to help you. That's crazy. Got to yeah. do them yourself. I I would just say that I think it's incredible when you look at just this series as a whole. Grant Williams literally went from he was he was he's playing like left bench this postseason, right? After playing like 80 games in the regular season and being like their seventh guy. And he's playing better than six man Malcolm Brogdon. Like, where the hell has Malcolm Brogdon been in this series? He's averaging eight and a half points, shooting 35% from the field and 21% from deep. And that's their guy who's supposed to come off the bench and play 35 minutes and give you that steady hand and take attention away from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But even at that point. Jalen Brown is averaging 17. He's shooting 39%. He's shooting 12% from three. He's really bad. 12%. He's really bad. Like, it's incredible. I just think, like, and I'm not even saying this is a SPO masterclass or anything, because when you watch these games, the Heat are giving up wide open threes, and Boston just can't hit them. Yeah. Yeah. The thing in this series that really just summed it up for me was in game three, coming out of that first half, Miami, Boston went like a a 6-0 run to start the second half, right? And it kind of – I was – everyone's like, oh, my God, what's happening here? Miami's going on this little run, right? Boston's going on this little run. And then Miami just starts going off, going off, and Boston comes down and they shoot 12 straight threes. And they're not even, like, good looks. And they're missing them all. And that just puts that game out of reach. Like, you can have a game plan and stuff like that, but you got to just not shoot three after three after three after three. There, like, it seems like their play, their play style has changed a bit. It seemed like like Jalen Brown, I mean, he's only scoring 17 points a game. He kind of just seems now like they have him as, like, a wing shooter compared to how he was playing for them in the regular season in the previous um, playoff series. They kind of have him as just like, is he open? Yes. And then if he is, they kick it. And then he either just drives into three guys or he's taking like contested jumpers. I don't really think he is kind of been playing up to how much he's how much he's worth on that contract wise, like Ryan was uh alluding to earlier. Um and then their other guys just have not hit shots. And then Jason Tatum, just fourth quarter, he has been non existent. He's on his Ben Simmons arc right now. I think too, it's it almost feels like a battle of cultures, where, you know, the Heat are very established. Pat Riley and Spolstra go back for years, um, and they've kind of in these last in this new era post LeBron last few years have created this identity of, you know, we'll take the the kids that were kicked to the the curb and we'll develop them and we'll put them in good positions as we're seeing with dudes like Caleb Martin and stuff like that. And then on the other side, you have a team that, you know, mere weeks, days before the regular season and training camps and all that were supposed to start, their coach, you know, gets fired because of all that that happened back then. And then you bring in a guy that a lot of people questioned at the time if he, you know, is ready for the moment as a head coach. Um, and 
then you just have a bunch of stuff go on there with Boston. It's been up and down kind of throughout this postseason. Uh, and then you just have the Heat who have kind of sensed the play and been on this trajectory of like, we found ourselves. This is Heat culture. We've, you know, we are going to beat you by hustle, by team basketball, by taking charges, all, all the little things it seems like. And I think that goes back to, you know, just the organizations as a whole. Um, like like we saw after game three, you know, a lot of the press conferences were Missoula himself admitting he'd lost the locker room and, you know, Jalen and Jason not really backing Grant Williams for getting up and talking that ish to Jimmy Butler and stuff like that. You know, I think if, if that happens on the other side, I think, you know, Jimmy Butler, if Gabe Vincent was talking trash to somebody, you know, Jimmy Butler would be the first one to step up and be like, that's our boy. Like he's just doing his thing. And so I think it's just a, the biggest difference to me is, very clearly the different mentalities and cultures that both these organizations currently have, uh, especially like this deep into it, you can almost see the Celtics are playing like they want to lose to try to like go into the off season and figure stuff out almost. It, I, I just think my whole thing with the Celtics is at a certain point, yeah, you can blame the coach all you want. And I've, I've spoken about Missoula a lot of the time. Like he's, he's in over his head. He doesn't know what he's doing at the end of games stuff like that, especially because this is a guy who was coaching D was D two, right? That was the last he had coaching experience. And Brad Stevens brought him in to be on his staff and made sure he stayed on Emi Adoka's staff. But you know, we didn't hear any of this talk about Emi Adoka and the effect it had on the players throughout the whole regular season when they were winning when they were winning fifty seven games. No one was saying anything about it. No one said anything about it through the first two rounds. Then all of a sudden we're talking about all this stuff that and the Udoka had a huge effect on it, and this firing the players aren't over it still. At a certain point, you just got to go out there and play and admit you're not playing well. And I haven't seen Tatum or Brown say, I got to be better. I got to go out there and make shots. I got to go out there and do stuff like that. I've seen Jason Tatum after a game say, oh, you know, humbly, I'm one of the best basketball players in the world. And, yeah, that may be true, but you're not playing like it. You go out there and you don't score in the fourth quarter of the East Conference Finals in your first three games. And you can't talk about this experience and stuff like that because this is this guy's fourth Eastern Conference Finals appearance. He's been to the NBA Finals. He's done it on that stage. And you're playing a team that is battered and bruised and all this stuff, but they're just playing such such well and their chemistry is just so cohesive that it's doing that. You shouldn't have Al Horford time after time imploring, imploring these guys, hey, we got to be together. We got to be together. That voice shouldn't come from him, even though he's that better in presence. That voice has to come from your best player. And once you see that, then the trickle effect will start to happen. But until Tatum or Brown does that, this team's just going to fall off. It, it kind of seems like we're getting like a toxic vibe from the Celtics. And they're not like they don't have the head coach that's there to bring them all back together as a team. Like you were saying that he doesn't have much experience. I'm seeing a little bit of entitlement coming from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown thinking that the rest of these guys need to step up when it's them who aren't playing the best that they can be. Um, like Derek White, I think, in my opinion, is playing the best out of everyone on the team comparatively. Um, and he's he's only averaging like 10 points a game, so it can't really – it needs to be someone higher up than him that needs to be – playing well for them to have a chance and down three, one, I don't see that happening. And kind of like Matt touched on too is granted. I think Spolstra does some things that has flustered the Celtics. And obviously you could touch on a lot of different things from a coaching standpoint, but it does seem like the Celtics just are not playing good, like plain and simple. They're missing shots. Their, their stars aren't coming, you know, to the table ready to eat. Um, and so I think I personally, when I look at it at the end of the day, it's just on on court players not stepping up to where they should. If you're gonna if you're gonna make a finals, all those things have to happen, and they're simply not for the Celtics. I I think, and we'll, we're gonna talk about this a lot more in the off season and stuff like that, because their off season could start tonight, could start whenever, right? But you can't. I don't think it's a coaching issue. Yeah, I think Missoula wasn't ready. So like that, especially because you've seen like, okay, Hardy got hired by Utah, right? So he was taken. That was a voice on that staff. Dame, 
Doka got fired, right? Uh, Damon Stoudemire was his top assistant, and that was the like his guy with NBA experience, who was a player who's played in big games and stuff like that, and he's been an assistant coach for a long time. He got hired by Georgia Tech, and he left midseason. So, which a lot of the times you see the coach kind of stick around and finish the year off. Luke Walton did that with the Warriors when he got hired by the Lakers and stuff like that. Mike Brown did it last year, of course, with the Warriors before he went to the Kings. He doesn't stick around. He goes right to Georgia Tech to start recruiting guys. And you lose that voice. And you have guys who are sitting at the front of that bench who have never done that, who are like just shooting, who used to be just shooting coaches, just working on that, strength and conditioning, stuff like that. And now they're up in the forefront and he doesn't really have a guy on his staff to go and like turn to. And that's why we've seen like Woj talking about how Brad Stevens wanted Frank Vogel to come and all this stuff. But I mean, there's a lot of issues that you're going to see, but I don't think you can fire a guy after his first season because we're talking about the Celtics and a year and a half ago before that drastic turnaround they had under Udoka when they were 500 in January, there was talks about, trading Jalen Brown, breaking up this duo. And now I think that's what you have to look at. Do we have to break up this team because 1A and 1B is not clearly established? You don't. They don't know who's the guy, stuff like that. Because when the, when the other has the ball, they don't move. They stand in the corner. They stand pat. Yeah. I saw a meme the other day about Jalen Brown. It's literally like dribble, 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 go, shoot a fadeaway, air ball three, blah, blah, blah. If he doesn't have the – if he has the ball. And if he doesn't have the ball, stand in the corner, do nothing. You can't do that. You can't be a great player and do nothing when the other great player on your team doesn't have the ball. And that's why we see throughout the history of the league, what is it usually these dynamic duos are a big and a guard. It's not usually two wings. And if it is, like the Warriors with Curry and Durant, it's off-ball movement was is so key and stuff like that. So yeah, I, they have a facilitator who can help them out. The Celtics don't really have anyone right now yeah. that's playing like that. It is crazy. I think also. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it kind of seems like back to the point where the Celtics just aren't playing well straight up. Like, because they play so much iso ball between Tatum and Brown, the rest of the guys aren't. They're trying to, like, put the pieces together here and there to try and get buckets. And if Jalen Brown can't score at only averaging 17, and if Jason Tatum is just shooting poorly, they're not going to be able to score enough points basically to win a game. It's just not not in the cards. I just wanted to – I agree, I agree. That is a good point. Um, but I just wanted to touch on some Matt kind of brought up. Uh, I don't – I I could see them firing Missoula just because, you know, easy kind of scapegoat. You could say he wasn't ready, whatever. I could also see them keeping him. But, I mean, regardless, I think if you really look at the last – since you've talked about, since they were 500 – um about a year and a half ago, it, it's kind of a crazy two season arc for a team that could potentially make two finals where to this day, we don't know if Jalen and Jason like each other, like playing with each other can function together. They've gone through two coaches because of, you know, a really bad off the court issue. They switched GMs. They, you know I mean? It's just like in terms of, I feel like the grand scheme of the NBA just history to think about a team making potentially back-to-back finals with this much dysfunction is kind of kind of like interesting to just think about, in my opinion. Especially with like the people they brought in to surround them, right? We had yeah. Kyrie at one point, then we had Kemba, <laughs> then we had Gordon, we yeah. had Gordon Hayward throughout those two guys. I mean, they've they've always brought in people thinking they need a guard, something like that. They brought in Malcolm Brogdon now, even though everyone was like, Marcus Smart's finally the answer. He proved last year that he was their point guard, and they bring in Malcolm Brogdon. And I just don't know, like, what we're doing. And I think, like, the smartest guy in Boston was Brad Stevens getting the hell out of the coach's seat and going to the front office. Yeah, That was probably the smartest move he made because you saw, like, especially that the end of the Kyrie era, that drained that guy. Like, he he looked like he aged, like, 20 years in the span of two after after what that did to him. Um, but I think that's just interesting how you mentioned that. Like, we don't know if these guys like each other and stuff like that. And we've never said that, like, yeah. We all know Shaq and Kobe had their differences and stuff like that. But, you know, you had the Zen master and Phil Jackson to remedy that and stuff like that. But we've never seen – They like, wanted to win. They yeah, wanted they to win. win. It, kind of, it doesn't know, seem like Jason Jalen Tatum Brown and Jason Tatum want to win. Yeah. NBA title. 
Like all this stuff I mean, he does. He like, says he does. Like he says and he same does, with Jalen Brown, but it seems like they just want their bag right now. All this, and all I mean, this they stuff got they it, do. so why aren't they there? All this stuff they do. The freaking thing he did last year in game before game seven where he's texted Kobe's number saying, this one's for you. And he went out there and he had a very yeah. bad game and they were lucky to win it. Jimmy Butler was the oh, one no. who went out there and played like Kobe in that game seven and all that crap. Okay, so you see that meme though. Hey, lose my number. That's kind of what, where they're like, at, right? Yeah, I mean, right like, but that's the thing. It's like these guys don't come out and show it. And yeah, Tatum can have fifty-one and play the best game of his career in Game Seven against Philly. And then the next game, he has what? He had twenty-eight through the first three quarters. Then he didn't score in the fourth. Like we, can't, like you can't do that. If you want to be great, you got to be great, and then you got to be able to take the criticism that comes with that. And these two don't prove that they can do it. And we've seen it. Throughout the whole broadcast on TNT, Stan Van Gundy and Reggie Miller are just going off on these two because they're not doing anything. And I've never seen them go off on two players like that in game. Like, it's crazy. And then Charles Barkley is having a field day with these guys. Like, it's hilarious watching him just say how bad they are and how they don't – it's basically like they don't give a crap about what's going on. Yeah. Enough about on the, the flip side, though. It, well, it seems like we've only been talking about their first three games based on everything that we've been discussing. Game four was better for them. They won, by, they won by 17. Because they made threes. Yeah, they shot 40% from three. They shot 45 three-pointers in total. Um, and they had six guys score, score in double figures. Pearson, do you have the game pulled up? I have their stats up right now, yeah. Do you have How many turnovers did the Heat have? Heat in total had, let's see, 15 turnovers compared to the Celtics, 10. So okay. yeah, not only that. five more turnovers. I don't, I don't have the specifics on points off turnovers right here, but um, it's, it seems like the, the Celtics played a lot better. The Heat could not – they couldn't shoot, for th- shoot threes in that game, eight for 32, well, which well, – the- the interesting That's thing with really all this like is like, and style. you know, Kenny Smith. Kenny Smith said this on Inside the NBA after Game Three. He said that that Game Three was like what a Game Four typically is for a team that's down 3-0 on the road. They come out with nothing, and that's what they did in Game Three. Game Four was like what they what a team will usually do in um, down 2-0 on the road. Uh, they fight. Usually, be a close game. Yeah, they, and they need to pull win. it out or they lose. And that's the thing is I just think like the heat were kind of messing around and we saw the Jimmy Butler smirk at the end of game four too. Like, I, I think honestly, like they're just doing that. And, you know, even if they lose this game, I don't see Boston winning a game six in Miami. Yeah. They won three games yeah. in Miami last year, but that's it's different. It different guy on the sideline. What? Say it again. It would be a little tight if they win tonight, I think. But I still, I still see the Heat pulling it out. But it would I be see the Heat pulling the yeah. series out. I, I think Boston will probably win tonight because I don't think they'll lose it in front of their home crowd. But... And they have that momentum right now after that last game. They're favored now. It kind of, it kind of seems like the series is turning around. But at the same time, it's three, it's three one. It was exactly. If they lose, if they lose one game, they're done. I don't. Yeah. Like I don't if see we them, can't say it's turning around. Back. And and yeah, you can do the whole Boston thing with the Red Sox, I mean, like, don't let us get one and stuff like that, but it's a hell of a lot different in baseball. There's a reason why it's never been done in basketball, and yeah. I think it's completely different when this is the scenario. I think in the Lakers' case, it was an easier scenario to come back from 3-0 because, one, you didn't get blown out. Two, you had game four at home. Game five, you in a place where you played pretty well in Denver, and then game six would have been at home. You're looking at a Boston team that now needs to win – Game five in a place that they were being booed in, last game two, and then game six in a place that historically we're just looking at it throughout the runs of where these guys have played um, in this rivalry between Boston and Miami. They don't play well in Miami, so I I don't know. I think I think the series is not all but over, but I I'd be surprised if if Boston could come through and make this comeback. I mean, it's going to happen at some point. But I don't think it's gonna happen now. Quickly, I just want to touch on um, the fact that the Heat aren't eight seed. Uh, I think it kind of validates, uh, combined with the Lakers making it so far. I think it kind of validates the play-in to a certain degree. Um, not only that, it 
you know, is cool and adds some flavor to the end of the regular season for fans and stuff like that. But also I think it kind of shows that in the modern NBA, you can kind of honestly like suck to a certain degree. And as long as you have your pieces healthy and have your, your identity to a certain degree built come playoff time, it doesn't really matter what seed you are. Uh, I mean, it depends on like your matchups and travel and all those things. But I think this is kind of showing that health and just like culture are yeah. more of a factor than the fact that somebody goes 60 and 22 in the regular season in today's day and age, just because there's so much power throughout the league. I think the main, the main thing with the play in is, is injuries and health because a team could miss the playoffs by half a game in the old system, how it was run just because they've missed a game because their star was out injured. Now it kind of gives you a little leeway, you know, three or four games out. If you're the 10th seed, you still have an opportunity to make it in and show what you're about if your players are healthy again. I think hey. I think my, my thing with it is I think we saw in Miami's case at least, we saw a team that was finally healthy at the right part of the season, right? And that's that's all that matters, right? Jimmy Butler played like 64 games. Bam played like 74. Tyler Hero played like 67 or 57, stuff like that. Kyle Lowry played like 40. Okay, but you saw a team that finally got healthy in the right part of the year, finished the season off strong. They were 4-1 and one in April. And I think they're just they're just better than people want to give them credit for because I think we kind of forget as a, as fans of the league, they were the one seed last year. They were the best team in the Eastern conference last year. And I think that's, that's the thing people got just got to remember is that they're real and barring injuries, they probably would have been a top four seed again. And stuff like that. It's not like they were so far out from me in the four seed. The Knicks were what? 47 and 35. So they were what, three games out from me in the, the five seed. So I think that's that's the thing we got to realize and just credit to that organization as a whole and coming coming up with that. Because even with all this and all this season, they're still the second best defensive team in the NBA on defensive rating. They were the worst offensive team, but what defense wins championships. So there you go. And I think just credit Wait, to them. And we're going to see. And you're seeing the guys who aren't good defensively step up on offense in the playoffs, which is why they're kind of playing better. Yeah. But I just think like this team, like there's – doesn't matter who, someone's going to step up, even if Jimmy's not playing well. Gabe Vincent in game three had a career high. Caleb Martin, I think the stat was like he has the most bench points in a series like ever. It was something like that. He's averaging 19 this series off the bench, which is incredible to me, especially a guy like him. And guess guess what he's shooting from the field, guys? Probably like 65%. I was like, it's got to be in the 60s for sure. 64 Damn. Shoot 64%, 46% from three. Like, that's absurd. Yeah, and I mean, I don't – no one no one really even sees him as a shooter. He's just – I guess he's just knocking down shots right now. No, yeah, he was – wasn't he the him. one in Nevada? He, when, with it, when he was playing with his twin, he was the one who couldn't shoot, right? I believe the other one was so. the shooter. I believe you're he, right. he, he was the better player, though, right, out of the two of them? Dude, they were, like, the same. It was like, it was like one of them just couldn't shoot. And he would just drive. Yeah, the but other one I, just shoot. I think it was the other one who couldn't shoot was like better overall. I'd say, but it's kind of it's kind of showing now that you you don't have to be a shooter per se to be able to impact the game nowadays. Which even though they have such a highish, it's shooting is like the main thing now. Like you were saying, defense and team play are what's going to win championships. He's just a dog defensively, and that's that's what's helping them out. And I think we're going to see if they do make the finals, which I think they will. We're going to see. I think that's going to be a longer series than people will anticipate for. That's that's what I'll say about that. On the topic of dogs, I think we find ourselves at our last topic of the day. Um, we're going to go through and discuss some of the best I'm him moments of the postseason so far. Um, I... Personally, as a Nuggets fan, have to talk about Jokic with a first half triple double against the Lakers in the recent conference finals. Um, I think the thing that makes it such a I'm him performance, and this is kind of like you could say this about his whole career, is 
um, it just is, it comes easy. Like there was the period of the regular season where people wanted to talk about how he stat pads to get triple doubles and stuff like that. And he has eight this postseason, So I think he's kind of put that narrative to sleep. Broke the but record. I know broke Wilt's record. Um, I think it does just show that he, he gets them in the flow of the game. He's not trying to chase rebounds. He's not overpassing or anything. Like sometimes I will admit he overpasses, but I think it's just insane how easy a triple double comes to him at this point. It almost seems like. Yeah, I mean, he just just finds finds people in the right spot. Like, and yeah, like you could say he's getting double teamed and someone's always open, but some of the stuff he runs, I mean, like, I, and ESPN, like Mark Jackson and Jeff Jeff Van Gundy will comment on this, comment in on this little series. They run a a, a point guard center pick and roll. Yeah, where, yeah. Jamal Murray will set the screen for Joker. Like that's that's just absurd. It just shows like where we are in the game of basketball at this point, twenty twenty three, and just how good of a player he is. But you know my my moment, my best I'm him moment has got to be Jimmy Butler how he closed out the Bucks. Game four, fifty six points. I mean, uh, an absurd. He was just going off on whoever. It didn't matter who it was and you know especially he was going up against Drew Holiday who is people will argue is the best on-ball defender in basketball and to drop 56 points on them and it wasn't like it was an inefficient 50, 19 to 28 from the field 15 of 18 from th- from the free throw line 56 points nine boards and then what he did in game f- in game 5 of that next year of the next that next game where he had 42 points and he he had that one game time shot where he basically just pushed it into the basket. I mean, that was, that was incredible. And I think just, he just went off on a, on a different level and he just turns up his performances in the playoffs so much. I mean, he just, it's like, he doesn't care about October and November. He's like, I don't care about that. I'm saving all my energy for when I'm playing in May. I think quickly, that is another thing. Um, just to go back to the point we talked about, of like the seeding of teams is Jimmy Butler is the prime example of like, the narrative, and it's the exact opposite for, like, Jason Tatum. Like, people will remember Jimmy Butler balled out this postseason. Not a soul is going to remember that he had, like, a pretty average postseason or regular season for his standards. Yeah. And it's like Jason Tatum was in MVP talks for a majority of the season tor- and then kind of fell off at the end. But nobody's going to remember that because he's not, you know, he's had a okay postseason and he's finishing off at this rate poorly. So I think that does kind of show that – like, if you want to really control your narrative, you got to ball out in the postseason, and October doesn't matter. But no, I agree. That was a that was a historic two game stretch right there. Houston, you want to run one? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of contradicting myself right now based on how I was slandering him earlier. But I think my I'm him or I'm going to be him player is Austin Reeves. Um, yes. I think if. If, if LeBron James retires, and depending on how AD is, if he can elevate his game, like you were saying, playmaking-wise, and then throwing in like another bucket or two here and there, he can be that guy for a team. Maybe not first option, but for him to be a third option right now and average like 17 points per game in the playoffs, I think he's kind of – validating himself and putting him in the conversation to get a bag this offseason. So which moment, which moment for the playoffs were you, would you do for him? It, I don't know which specific game it was. I think it was – it might have been last series or first series. He had, like, the crazy game where he went off and was just – I mean, he was talking to the crowd going crazy. I, I can't tell you which one it was. Game one His best Memphis. series though was this one against the Nuggets, but he they the Lakers, yeah, must have been that one. He was he had like he was going off, straight. but his his best, yeah, that one. His best series so far though was the Lakers one, but as a team they just didn't play well, so it kind of didn't yeah. didn't come to fruition. All right, really quick before we go, game five tonight. What do we think? Celtics or Miami? Do we? Do we see the series going back to Miami or no? I see it going back. Uh, I'm saying Celtics. 
128, 121. Jesus. Is my, my point guess. I'm thinking it's going to be a shootout between these two teams. They're going to be no. putting up – I think the Celtics are going to be putting up threes again in front of their home crowd. And I think someone – one of their one of their either smart, Derek White, or Brogdon is going to go off for like a 25-piece in this game. The over-under on this After, game is 215, and this guy said it's going to be 128, yeah, I'm, I'm that over. it out of the water. That's that's just my my random how I'm feeling right now. I think I'm blowing it out of the water. Well, because last game it was like 115 to like 99, which, yeah, yeah how the how the Miami Heat play defense, it's going to be low scoring like that. But I think it's just going to be back and forth this game. I got – I'm going to go Heat. Okay. I'm going to go Heat 104-99. I, that close. You can, in, a, in, a, yeah. in an ending game. Yeah, I think I think the Celtics think it's going to be a one-possession game before fouls? Yeah, I think the Celtics had okay. a chance to tie, miss a three, and then foul, and then foul. Game. Okay. All right. Ryan? Uh Earlier I said the heat quick. I like I don't know now that you kinda you both of you kinda talked me into this series extended a little bit. Um okay. Just off I'll go I'll go heat close it out. I don't think I don't think the Celtics show up. Um I'll I go it's, it's either Boston blows them out or the Heat win a close one. Like that's yeah, the two I options. Agree. I, I I would say it's all it almost depends on like the Heat's mentality. Because it's like the Heat will either do like the, the Lakers did in the first and the second round where the game or whatever games it was then, but the game on the road, yeah, you were like, all right, whatever, and then you save energy to close it out at home. Yeah. But I'll go. I'll are go. the Heat? Go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, are the Celtics gonna be able to feed off their fans for this game, or are the Heat yeah. just gonna be able to drop? I think that'll be an early, but early, like, yeah, it'll first quarter, depending on how it go, it'll set the tone. Okay, I'll go Heat one. Heat one oh seven Celtics one oh one. Okay. I'm I'm the odd one out right now, and I can already tell you if the Heat win, it's just gonna you two are gonna be sitting there talking oh such bad takes. Oh, we'll be talking we'll be talking that smack horrible takes. Yeah, I can already tell you that. But like you were saying earlier, we don't don't know. It's gonna it's gonna be up in the air. I'm just excited for your public apology. That's for our next Bro, show. I'm not when, putting out public apologies. The Heat make the finals right and you just apologize for We're that. not on that level yet for me to put out a public apology. You got it, man. The the fans will keep these receipts. The right. fans will remember. So thanks for listening to episode two of the Backroom Boys. Had a good time talking about conference finals, recap a little bit. Um, next episode, we are going to talk about our NBA finals preview and what where teams like who's knows Celtics heat, whichever team loses, where they go in the offseason, stuff like that. And we'll just talk NBA finals a little bit, maybe rank a few of our favorite series of all time and a few of our favorite performances. Hope you join us. Have a good one.